0: Well thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories podcast where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today I'm really excited to have Michelle Adams on the show with me today. She has a phenomenal new book. It's called Little Wishes and this is a book that you must have on your bookshelf for uh, going into this fall. It uh, today is release day November 17th and I'm excited to uh to feature the book on the release day of the book uh, on the show today welcome to the show Michelle
1: thanks so much for having me here
0: I'm excited to have you um Michelle we begin each show with the same question and that okay. question is what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller
1: okay that's a really easy one for me to answer because it's really really clear um as a, as a child we used to have these sort of family get-togethers with Um, sort of close family friends and um, one of our family friends was a really avid reader and he had a fantastic bookshelf covered with all sorts of books and um, various um, stories and I was probably eight or nine years old and I pulled out uh, a novel that to me just looked really really interesting on the front cover there was this moody uh, moonlit scene of a bed there were Uh, I think there might have even been dogs on it. There was definitely some sort of blood spill on the floor. And I had no idea what it was, but it was Gerald's game. Um, And I turned the book over and there was this black and white picture of Stephen King on on the back. And I asked if I could borrow it, at which point there was this sort of conversation between the adults in the room, whether I should or I shouldn't be allowed to read a Stephen King book at the age of nine. Um, But also (laughs) the the story uh, between them was just um i couldn't really believe it because as a child you look at books as just well they're storybooks but there was this discussion between the adults about you know what kind of person did you have to be to write the kinds of stories that stephen king wrote and i just looked at the picture on the back of the book and thought you're you're so clever like how did you convince these people that you're all um that there's something wrong with you like all you do is write stories and i remember thinking if that's if that's what a writer can do that's what i want to be i love
0: that um you know, for a lot of people, there's this moment where uh, there's sort of a realization that there's a real person behind these books. You know, it, for some reason, when we're very young, we just think that that books are magical or ethereal and they, they just kind of show up out of the mist somewhere. Um, But like when you flipped over that book and saw the picture of Stephen King, you you. You know that there's a person. This is this is a story that he made up and that he told. Yes. Um, that's a, was it sort of a, a realization for you like that? Like, like you know, one. I'm very intrigued by the cover and the description. But there's a person behind this. Was that a kind of an awakening moment for you?
1: It was. I think I remember that before that, I I had been really interested in books. I was a big fan of Roald Dahl as a younger child, and I used to collect his books. And I was excited about things like book club at school. We used to have this scheme where you could collect stamps every week, and then you'd have enough stamps, and you would buy the book. Um, And I, I was really keen on things like this. So I had a real passion for books, but I didn't really have a face behind the story. But I think what excited me the most was the reaction of other people because it was the first adult book that I'd ever sort of picked up. And I think to see the reaction of everybody else that it could that it could spark such passion because my, my mum was very, no, you can't read something like that. And then somebody else would say, well, just let her read it. It'll be fine. Um, and I think just to see that, that the fact that a person who wrote it could create that discussion amongst a, a group of people so far away who hadn't even read the book was just, that was the magical bit about it. And, dad, dad. and Stephen King in the 80s, you know, he he looked very cool on his book. You
0: know? oh, oh, yes. Oh, that, lots of drama. Lots, lots of drama, of drama black and
1: white, <laughs> big glasses.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, Michelle, um, this desire is born uh, out of that, uh, you know, and moments between that moment and where you are now, um, you know, the path to becoming a writer and and then a published writer is circuitous at best for a lot of people um, yes. very very few people have this moment of realization and then just immediately pour everything they have into this quest to to get published. Um, yeah. Most of us have you know meandering sort of journeys uh, between raising families and working for a living and all that. W- what happened with you along the way?
1: Well, my story is exactly as you describe it it's meandering and um in, in no way linear um i i developed this this desire that i would like to be a writer um i went to a school that was very keen on um academic success in the sense you leave school and you go straight to university and um with that sort of um with that mentality instilled in me i didn't want to be a journalist or something like that i the only f- the only love I had in the world of literature was that I wanted to be a writer, but I remember raising it as a sort of idea. And, you know, you got that, that very stop response of, well, that's a lovely idea, but what are you going to do for a a real job? Um, (laughs) And so I happened to be quite good at biology. And so I ended up studying science and becoming a clinical physiologist in the health system in in the UK when I used to live in the UK. but the desire to write a book had never left me. And I had always had these sort of slightly plagiarized ideas when I was 18 and 19 that were based on things like Ian Banks and Stephen King, um, which I never did anything with. And I remember talking to my closest friend on a very wet New Year's Eve when I was 21 or 22, and I said, Here, I'm going to write my book. And she said, Oh, that's great. What a lovely idea. And it then took me another six years. Um, but I did get to that point where I where I sort of decided I've been talking about this for a so long time that the the only really the only thing that's in my way of doing this is myself and I keep putting it off and that was the moment when I sat down and wrote my first book that I I knew that if I was ever going to be a writer then I had to do something called writing.
0: So your first two books that you published are psychological thrillers, um, yes. which is a a little bit of a departure from your new book little wishes that we're that we're talking yes. about today um but what was it about psychological thrillers that uh that intrigued you or maybe that still intrigues you i'm sure um but it was it does it harken back to that experience with stephen king what what was it that kind of built this love of that genre in you
1: i think that genre has always been something i've been drawn to um in both um literature and screen i love um psychological thriller movies just as much and when i came to sit down to write my first book um which was um not the first book that was published i wrote six books before i wrote a book that was picked up by an agent and a publisher Of course you did (laughs) Uh, of course (laughs) um but i they were all pretty much sort of thrillers dystopian thrillers um and i think i was just drawn to the sort of darker stories i it was what i was um it was what i was uh, consuming myself i loved thrillers i loved sci-fi um and so that was naturally what knew and so when it came to writing my first my first efforts um so to speak uh, it was just very natural, but that's what I would be drawn to.
0: As, as a writer uh, who who wrote several novels that were not published, and then um, you you land on the idea of that that becomes the first book that becomes published. Can yeah. Can you look and see a difference in the book that was published as opposed to the six previous? Like, is there a line of demarcation for you? Is there? you know, was there something in particular that you were able to accomplish then that you look back and say, okay, now I know this is why I wasn't ready yet. I hadn't figured out how to do X or, you know, is, is there a line in your mind between what did get published and what did not?
1: Yes, I think so. Um, I wrote my first book and I, I think I sort of reached the the seventy-five to eighty thousand word mark, and did a celebratory cheer and thought, "Yes, I've done it." And and I had no idea what it meant to edit, or I thought editing was going through and having a look at whether you've made any typing errors or something like that. So I, d- I had no idea what it was to edit, um, which is a huge uh, step, I think, in becoming uh, a writer that can sell a book, and along with that I think there was just a very natural progression of improvement and whether that was in part um, the fact that I did learn to go back and and work on my work and to improve it or whether it was just I think I needed to write that many words before I came to the story that I really needed to tell um and one thing that I did, uh, which I would support any writer doing, is when I, had, when I submitted my first ever book to an agent and didn't get picked up with representation, I decided that I was going to self-publish it via Amazon. And that for me was a really pivotal moment because what I really wanted to do was to see my book in front of readers. And I have a fairly thick skin for people's critique. And sure. so yeah. using Amazon as a way to one, get my work in front of people and and get their feedback was a really sort of inspiring thing. People were telling me that they'd enjoyed the story and that was something that I think, you know, it feels great as a writer to have somebody read your first books and then say, oh, that was lovely. Are you going to write another one? So it's really inspiring to to keep you going, you know, what is quite a sort of long-winded hobby. Um, But also using the reviews that I was getting on Amazon in those first early books, I could look for um, common patterns. Um, I would see where I was going wrong. He would say it was too much fiction or it was too bleak, and so these sorts of um, patterns enabled me to really hone the nature of the writing that I was producing. Um, I was still going to publish, um, self-publishing uh, via that route, when I wrote the book that got published by um, a publishing house. And it was a very last minute decision to just think, okay, well, I'll, I'll just give it a shot here with an agent. Um, so it was a, it was a lucky decision.
0: I, I love that idea love that. of using Amazon and the, the fantastic platform that they provide uh, to yeah. writers and publishers now, yeah. because it really, it really is an option, um, you know, for a lot of people and, yeah. um, it, But using that as a way to connect with readers and and then to hone your craft, because you can get nearly immediate feedback uh, on on that. And, you know, as opposed to sort of this tribalism that that has cropped up in in publishing with the us versus them and, you know, kind of the middle finger to the other side when when we a writer really should use all of the tools in his or her tool set to to become a better writer and i I think that's a fantastic way to use that
1: i think the attitude has changed a lot now i think when i first started publishing in um via amazon i think it must have been it must have been 2012 when i released my first book on that platform and i do think at the time there was very much a mentality of well i'm a self-publisher so i'm not part of the traditional publishing world and then traditional Mm -hmm. publishers sort of looked down on what self-publishing was sure, and there was sure. still that sort of mentality that self-publishing is a vanity press um and that if you want to be a real writer you have to find an agent and a publisher but I don't think that that's the same anymore because I think what people have realized is that there is a huge amount of quality in the self-publishing world yeah. and yeah. I didn't go from being a bad writer to a, a good writer because I wrote one book that got published it was a natural progression and um you know i wrote a lot of stories that people had a lot of good things to say about and i didn't have an agent um i think having an agent and a publisher is a great sort of stamp of, of approval but i don't think it's necessary any longer um and it shouldn't be a barrier to a writer working and having their books in front of um, the readers
0: a hitman with a conscience ian bragg is paid to kill people only bad people and not many but for a great deal of money case the target make the hit move on until he meets the woman with sparkling green eyes who changes everything a few pre-readers had this to say about ian bragg mark dawson million-selling thriller author says a rip-roaring ride from start to breathless finish craig martell hit a home run with the operator the taut, lean prose and lightning-fast pace make this a page-turner without sacrificing an ounce of story or depth. You'll find yourself rooting for the hitman main character as he faces the toughest decision of his career. The Operator is the start of a new thriller series I expect to see burning up bestseller list for years to come, says A.C. Fuller, author of The Crime Beat and Alex Vane Media Thrillers. Suave, romantic, and lethal, Ian Bragg is everything you want in a highly paid assassin. Can't wait to ride this train, says James Blatch, self-publishing formula. It's been a long time since I fell this hard in love with a book, a very long time, author of Women of Wine County Romantic Suspense Terry Wells Brown says. Grab this book from Craig Martell, The Operator. both barrels publishing is the brainchild of successful indie author james p sumner he has self-published over 15 titles in the last five years and has over 800,000 downloads so far in his career meaning he has a wealth of knowledge and experience to share with the indie publishing community knowing the struggles of the modern day indie author as well as he does he wanted to create a platform that would allow writers of any level to learn the ropes, navigate the pitfalls, and produce a professional novel without wasting time or money in the process. Both Barrels Publishing is the perfect one-stop shop for any indie author, combining James's expertise with his own team of editors and designers so you can help your novel realize its full potential and learn how to publish yourself. The purpose of Both Barrels Publishing is to help indie authors get their novels ready for publication without all the stress, hassle, and unnecessary expense. We want to make your lives easier, which is why we're giving you access to a top-notch team to publish your novels, along with a generous discount on their services. You can also work one-on-one with James to learn the intricacies of self-publishing. No hidden costs, no false promises. We simply want you to publish the best version of your novel. Both BothBarrelsPublishing.com So, those first two books were... Um, In the psychological thriller genre, uh, and Little Wishes is a little different. Um, What was it about this book um, that was different from you? And did you know from the very beginning that this would be a different sort of story that you would tell?
1: I did. um, And the reason for that is because I was inspired to write this book for a very different reason. My psychological thrillers were the kinds of stories I love to write. Um, but, uh, and and kind of stories I love to read. Um, But Little Wishes was inspired by something that we um, sort of went through as a family. Um, I'm not giving anything away to say that uh, in Little Wishes, there's a character who's very ill um, with cancer. And my father was diagnosed um, with the same um, disease that um, Tom, the character, has in the book. And uh, it was a very, very... Um, quick diagnosis and a, and a very quick disease progression, and we lost him sort of eight weeks after he was first diagnosed. But oh, I'm so I was sorry. Really- no thank you, thank you. It's four years ago now, um, uh, but it was very hard at the time, as you know, millions of families know what I what I experienced as, as his daughter is uh, no different to so many people's experiences, sadly, of their of their family. And um, because I was living in Cyprus uh, at the time, I still am living in Cyprus, but um, it was very difficult to sort of manage being there for him and trying to support him. And so I was flying back and forth. And on the final time that I was going to the UK, um, it was a very rushed flight. I, I had to get the sort of last flight that I could, which was Cyprus to England via Lithuania with an eight hour layover. And so I sat in the airport alone because we have a family. I, I couldn't, we couldn't all just ship up. I just had to go on my own. Um, and uh, I sat there in the airport bar with my computer and nobody around. It was the most bizarre experience. Um, and I thought, what am I going to do for eight hours? And The only thing I know how to do in order to make sense of the things that I'm sort of um, aware of in the world is to write Um, but I found when I got my computer out that it wasn't about the sort of bleakness of him having cancer that I wanted to necessarily write about but instead it was the relationship that I'd witnessed between him and his partner she had just literally as soon as he was diagnosed just cared for him so much and stood next to him um, every step of the way I don't think she left his side um, for hardly any time at all uh, and when I was having to go back to Cyprus to sort of be with my family, I knew that he was just with her, which was such a sort of comfort to know that she was there. And what I remember taking from it is one that you know there were so many people around us in the hospital who were there, um, offering a sort of positive um, uh, role in in what we were going through. But it was what what they shared in those last eight weeks of his life that really inspired me to write this because. It was the first time I think I'd ever seen somebody uh, offer their love to somebody when there was just literally no hope of getting anything out of it. It was just the like the most selfless, um, kind period that um, that I witnessed between them. And it was it was really, you know, as sad as it was, it was also um, it was also something really positive to take from it. that you know, that people could that people could love when there was. Um, when there was no hope for for something at the end of it.
0: So out out of this very personal um uh experience that you were going through, um as as a lot of storytellers do, and, and I love the way that that you kind of summed that up, that that there was one thing that you knew that you could do to help process these feelings, and that's to to tell a story about it. Um yeah. where where did these characters of Elizabeth and Tom come from? Because they have such a a, a fascinating relationship that we discover on the pages how did you How did you come up with them and and their s- interesting situation?
1: um well it was um it was very easy to sort of develop Tom. He's not based on my father really, but um there are elements of my dad's life that sort of run through him as a character, and I suppose they share some characteristics, so he was quite he was quite easy. Um, but then I wanted to create, um, uh, the, the person that he falls in love with. And we're talking about 1968 in a small village by the coast in England, um, in a county called Cornwall. And I tried to put myself in the shoes of what would, what would take two people who were in love at sort of 18 years old at that period, um, in our world and what could keep them apart. and um, one of the things that I realized would be very difficult for them was their different social situation if if say he was from a sort of family from the wrong side of the tracks and she was from quite a, a good family um, who had big expectations of what she would do and achieve in her life. And um I thought it would be really interesting to bring two people like that together and then see how um see how the the social situation around them pulled them apart and so then I was asking myself what kind of woman would that be what kind of things would she experience who would her family members be so it was a lot of fun to create them
0: well and we've seen lots of variations on this kind of story where y- you know you have the the two people that were never meant to be together but they fall in love and then a lot of times there's a tragic ending you know um but the the way these characters um Th- their relationship kind of uh e- even though they're they're not together they stay connected over distance and time um wh- what was the the idea of, uh, where did that come from to keep these people connected yet at arms length
1: um I suppose that's twofold really um in the one instance it was directly influenced by my dad and his partner because they had never Quite um, sort of formalized their relationship that they'd, they'd kept their sort of independent lives and it was only at this sort of um time of diagnosis when they both sort of looked at each other and said oh my god like we've wasted so much time um, so it was definitely that kind of element that i wanted to bring in that you know a sort of sense of time has gone by and we've missed out um, but also um I wanted to I wanted to think about uh, the fact that there are people that that do love people from afar and they want to be together. But things just things get in the way. And the truth is that lots of people aren't brave enough to to take the right steps or um, to be with the person that they want to be or that they want to be with or. they sort of bow to social pressures. And I thought that that's what, that's what these people would have been like from, from the 60s. And so even though they were in love, the fact that they were kept apart by some of their own choices and some of the, the circumstances that presented themselves, um, I thought it would be really interesting to see what they would be like if they had continued to love each other, but hadn't actually been a big part of each other's lives.
0: So from this time in the airport bar uh, during a layover where you used um, this as a way to help you process what you were feeling and what you were going through. When did you know that this was going to be a story that would be bigger than you that you would share? Um, Well, it was.
1: Absolutely the wrong timing because um, (laughs) I had (laughs) I had recently signed a contract for the two psychological thrillers and they hadn't even been published yet. So um, I was in London um, for the Christmas party of my agent and we were sharing a taxi from her office to um, go and have a meeting with um, my editor before the party. And um, I said to her, uh, by the way, I've got this idea for a love story. And I suppose a lot of agents would have just turned around and said, hang on a minute. You know, we've got two psychological thrillers to finish and, and publish. Just, you know, you, you're going to have to put that on the back burner. But she was completely enthusiastic about it. I have a, a brilliant agent. She's so supportive. And so she said, that sounds great. Uh, I told her the story and she said, let's just focus on getting this first book published. And then when you've got a break in your program, let's write it. Um, and that's four years ago now that will be four years ago this this coming Christmas so it hasn't been a it hasn't been a fast process but I finished writing the next psychological thriller and then put the initial ideas down I had that sort of that first chapter uh, I think I've written two or three chapters after that and then um, very slowly adapted it um, and I was out of contract for psychological the psychological thrillers. And so it was just a really great time to focus on, um, to focus on this book.
0: We we talked um, a little bit earlier about the differences in in publishing and how self-publishing is now a viable opportunity for a lot of writers. And uh, I I love your story of of using that as a way to build an audience and to get feedback from readers and, and all that's wonderful. Um, But we, We talk, um, a lot about authors building their, their author brand and becoming known for a certain, uh, genre or writing a certain style of books, because we, we want readers to say, I want to pick up a Michelle Adams book, not necessarily a specific title, but they, they build trust in you so that they want to buy all of your books. Um, Psychological thrillers are very different from Little Wishes. Um, how do you feel um, about, you know, writing two very different genres? And and at, what are your expectations uh, about your readers? And will they follow you? And uh, is that something that you even think about?
1: It is something that I think about. It's something I thought a lot more before I got to this stage. I, I remember when I wanted to write Little Wishes. Um, and thinking i'm not sure about crossing over to another genre um i think historically it wasn't seen as a very easy thing to do um and a name let's take a famous person we've already mentioned like stephen king you know we associate that name with this style of book um but i think that the attitudes towards that have definitely changed and that's definitely my experience of what i've Um, received from my agent and the publishers that have uh, that are publishing little wishes is that there isn't quite such a problem there anymore Um, there was some talk about whether I would publish this under a different name Um, but ultimately I think what you mentioned about authors building a brand I think most publishers want to sort of capitalize on that and as long as there isn't a direct competition, um, say I was releasing a thriller at the same time as releasing Little Wishes via two different publishers, I think that would be quite difficult. But because I'm not currently releasing a thriller, um, I don't think that there's the competition in the market. And I think most people now understand that um, lots of writers are able to write in different genres. And um, I, think, I think there are even a lot of writers now that we, we know, uh, Claire McIntosh, for example, Um, she's, uh, very famous for her thrillers and has released a non thriller, um, this year, which has done very well. Um, so I think that, I think people are more amenable to it and I'm not, as a writer, I'm not concerned. I I think it's very clear, um, which books are thrillers and which books are not. And I think most readers like to read across different genres and if they enjoy one book, they might try another book and that opens them up to a different world of, um, World that's being created
0: by the writer. So I think it's I think it's a great thing. Well, I I, think, I think it's baggage. it's uh, high time for writers to be let off the hook, so to speak, because you're absolutely right that readers, um, I read all over the place, every yeah. you know genre, and and why can't writers do the same? Let's yeah, let's let's open ourselves up, and uh, I yeah. think we'll get more fantastic stories that way. I think um, so. Yeah. Uh, Michelle, you also have a podcast, the Beyond Words podcast, and um, I I love your concept that you have there. Um, how how has getting to talk to other writers and and exploring other people's stories? What has that done for you and your creative process?
1: It's been a lot of fun, actually. Um, it was been it was something that I was thinking about for a while, and i and I'd wanted to do so. Um, and then we all had this year a very different working environment. And um, I think that sort of shuffling up of the of the status quo made me say, well, OK, well, let's just see if we can make this happen. And I was very, um, very unaware of how that would be received. And I contacted a few of the first writers that I wanted to to um, feature. And I was really pleased by their positivity and receptiveness to the idea and that really bolstered me to say okay maybe there's a call for this um, and I've had a lot of positive um, comments of people saying that they've been enjoying it which has been great So for me as a writer it's just really nice to get to chat to other writers but also I think every writer really is a reader and that's that's really the standpoint that I come to the podcast as is someone that's picked up a book and loved it and then had the opportunity to sit down with the writer who wrote it and ask the questions that I had as a reader. Um, so it's been a lot of fun to sort of blend those two worlds as being a, a reader and a writer.
0: Absolutely. And it's called, it's called the beyond words podcast. I know there's beyond a link words. at your, your website, but, um, I would highly recommend that everyone go subscribe Thank to you that. so much. Thank Absolutely. You. Um, the new book is called little wishes and uh, it's on sale everywhere today in Kindle edition. And, uh, uh, hardcover eh, and audiobook, any way that you like to consume books, you can find it. We'll put links to it in the show notes to make it easier for people to find. Uh, Michelle, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the amazing stuff that you do, where can they find you online?
1: Um, the place that I'm most active is Instagram, um, and I am M. Adams Writer. Um, I'm also on Twitter and Facebook, and I have a website which is michelleadams.co.uk.
0: Excellent. We'll put links uh, to all those in the show notes as well. Uh, Michelle, thank you so much for taking time to come on the show today. We're going to send everyone to pick up their copy of Little Wishes and uh, to connect with you online. Thank you for taking time to come on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me here. It's been a total pleasure.
0: On an isolated human planet called Phoenix, outside the Galactic Gate Network, a royal empire teeters on the brink of revolution the new emperor is weak, the old guard seeks power, and a hidden slave cabal manipulates the great and small houses alike. None of this concerns Simeon Brazhnev, newly appointed steward to one of the most powerful heiresses on the planet. Happy to let the royals play their age-old game of catch the crown, Simeon is more concerned with balancing his mistress's books than worrying about affairs of state. But when Simeon discovers evidence of sedition at the highest levels of government buried deep within her finances, he realizes her great peril. Though a slave, he finds himself trapped in political intrigue, desperate to protect his mistress from the royals who would see her dead and the slave rebels who would make her their pawn. Agonized by the choice of turning her over to the authorities or protecting her secrets, Simeon decides to keep faith with his sovereign over his larger duty— thus flinging himself into a world of power, plot, and assassination. If he fails, they both die, and with them the chance at freedom for Simeon's enslaved race. Set in the Salvage title universe, Salvage Mind is the first of three novels in a new breakout series. Available in ebook format and paperback, grab your copy today. Salvage Mind by David Allen Jones.